for just a moment. You may be seated. Um, Acts chapter 18 is where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, if you do not have a Bible, um, just lift your hand up and one of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't have a Bible, um, please just lift your hand and one of our ushers will bring you one. You, you will need God's word this morning. Um, you will need God's word with you. I want to make a quick correction um, last week. Um, it's a minor point, but I want to be honest and forthright. Um, last week, I mentioned that Paul was in the city of Corinth for 18 months, and that was the longest time he was anywhere, and that's actually not true. Um, I appreciate y'all withholding the text messages and emails, because um, <laughs> I got it. Sometimes pastors get carried away. Um, and so it was Ephesus, which is, we're not going to, we're going to touch on it today, but it's actually going to be next week. We talk about Paul was in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus for about three years. So he was in Ephesus, the longest, Corinth, the second longest, most other places. He was there for only a short amount of time. But I just wanted to say that publicly because I made the mistake publicly. And so I want to correct that. Um, We take the word of God seriously, all parts of it. And so Acts chapter 18. For me, there are two sobering verses in the scriptures. Every time I read them, every time I hear them, it just kind of gives me moments of pause. One of those is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Only on that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we do many miracles? And then I, Jesus, will announce to them, I never knew you depart from me, lawbreakers or workers of iniquity, some translations say. That's a verse that always gives me pause because this is the man who was prophesying, who was doing miracles, who was casting out demons in Jesus' name, and Jesus said, I don't know you. Depart from me. So that moment, that verse always gives me pause because it reminds me that it's not about what I do for God, it's who I am in God that matters much. And then there's another verse that always strikes me, maybe because it has my name in it, maybe because it's just a profound truth. John 14, 6 through 8, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we would all say amen to that. He says, if you know me, you will also know my Father. So from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And look at one of the disciples named Philip says. In verse 8, Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't yet know? And that verse always captures me because here, these disciples who have been with Jesus for years at this time, eating and sleeping and hearing the teaching of Jesus day in and day out, and yet when he says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip doesn't get it. Philip doesn't get it. The disciples miss it. We'll say, well, show us the Father. They don't yet get that Jesus is the Father revealed to man. Both of those examples, Matthew chapter 7 and John chapter 14, are examples of being so close and yet missing just one piece. But that piece being so important, without this one piece, it's as if you missed everything. And that's the passage that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 18, verses 18, all the way to chapters 19. We're going to see two profound examples of a man and a group of believers and disciples who are so close, yet because they missed one thing, it's as if they missed everything. So let's see what God's word has to say to us. Verses 18 to 23 is where we're going to start. This is kind of the setup for what's to happen. Acts chapter 18, verses 18 to 23. After staying 
time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria. Accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, he shaved his head at Centuri because of a vow he had taken. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there, but he left he himself into the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they would ask him to stay for a longer time, he declined. But he said farewell and added, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus on landing at Caesarea. He went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church. Then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he set out, traveling through one place after another in the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So what's happening right here? Luke right now is setting the tone for what's about to happen. He's setting the scene for what's about to happen. So Paul was just in Corinth. He left Corinth, and those two people that he, that he was staying with, that couple, Priscilla and Aquila, he actually took them with him to Ephesus. Now, he left them at Ephesus, and he went to Jerusalem. Some people, you may have noticed that verse where he says he shaved his head. There's this kind of this Nazarite vow that, that sometimes was common. It was a vow of devotion to the Lord. And at the end of that vow, you would kind of cut your hair, and then you would actually take your hair to an offering to Jerusalem. So that's probably what Paul is going to do. He had taken this vow of consecration, this vow of seeking the Lord. And so I think he had gotten to the end of the vow. Now he is shaving his head, cutting his hair, and then taking it to Jerusalem as an offering. So he goes up to Jerusalem, fights with some Jews, then kind of they ask him to stay. He leaves and keeps going. Um, then he goes to Antioch. Now, you remember Antioch was kind of the home church. That's where Paul and this whole mission had really started. So after being gone for about a year, several years and some change at this time, he comes back to Antioch and just gives them a report of what has happened. Once again, Paul coming back to his home church to kind of share where he's been. Now, after spending some time in Antioch, he goes right back out. He goes right back out to all the places that we had walked through before, basically going back to all the churches that he had helped plant to encourage the believers. Now, if this sounds familiar, it should, because this is not the first time Paul has done this exact same thing. But remember, we talked about last week that Paul is a man about one thing. Paul is a man of single-minded mission. And so he's predictable because he's a man of purpose. And so he's about building the church and strengthening church. And so you're going to see this rhythm of Paul over and over and over again. Once again, he's predictable because he's a man of purpose. So we find Paul on his way out of Ephesus. And then Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, is going to zoom us back to Ephesus where Priscilla and Aquila are. But remember, Paul had left. So this is the first example of being so close and yet missing it. Anyone ever heard the phrase heat without light? Heat without light means passion, zeal, but no content, no information. Passion without content. We're going to see an example of a man named Apollos. Pick up in verse 24 with me of Acts chapter 18. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus although he knew only John's baptism. Stop there. So let me, give you a, let me give you a setup of who Apollos is. Apollos is a man of passion, of eloquence. Says he's a native Alexandrian. In those times, we would have gotten the reference. Alexandria was the greatest capital of learning in the known world at the time. 7, 000, about 7,000 books in the Alexandrian library. Let me give you some context. There's about only 600,000 people in the city of Alexandria. There's more books in the library than people in the city. This is a city that was home to, to rhetoric and philosophy. So he was from this pedigree and this lineage of people who knew how to preach. Amen? And then 
says that he was fervent of spirit. That word literally means boiling. He's a passionate man. Let me give you some context. You know, there are some preachers, when they preach, they get sweaty, right? That's why we oftentimes wear two, two three shirts, because um, we want to sweat through. Then there's some when they preach, you get sweaty. Anybody ever been to church like that? I mean, these people can just preach. I mean, everybody's up. Everybody's moving. Everybody's shouting. Hairs is falling out. Like, this is Apollos, y'all. This man can preach. This is what the Bible is trying to communicate. He's an eloquent man of eloquence and fervor and passion. He's competent in the scriptures. He knows the Bible. He's one of those preachers that everyone would line up to hear. That people, even if they don't go to his church, they listen to the podcast in the week because he delivers every week. He's one of those people. And yet, as gifted as Apollos was, as talented as he was, as competent in the scriptures as he was, he was missing one thing. And missing this thing, church, is equivalent to missing everything. So what was he missing? Look again in the last verse. He said he was speaking, verse 25, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he only knew about John's baptism. Now, John's baptism is going to come up a few times in this passage. So I want to make sure that we understand what he's talking about. John's baptism is a looking forward to baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 will be on the screen. It says, I baptize you with water. This is John the Baptist speaking. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John's baptism was a baptism of preparation. It was a baptism that you were expecting a Messiah to come. It was a baptism of repentance, of getting your heart ready for the Messiah to come. Apollos didn't quite know that Jesus had come. Now, gracefully, they took him aside because this, was this really Paul's fault? I mean, in this time, there was no Facebook, there was no social media, there was no internet, and so news had to travel by people to go anywhere. And so we believe that Apollos wasn't rejecting Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He just didn't know about it yet. Maybe he heard John preach, and one of John's disciples come to Alexandria, one of the places that he was, heard about this promised Messiah that was coming, and he got excited. He said, man, I'm going to take this message to everybody, and he took off. He just didn't know what had happened, what had happened was. Anybody remember the movie Life? No? Oh, man. Go home and watch the movie Life, y'all. Maybe, maybe, let me think about that. Maybe don't go watch the movie Life. <laughs> now I'm thinking about it. You know, you watch a movie a long time ago, and you watch it again, you're like, oh, man, that's wretched. Um, so I don't know. Maybe watch a movie Life. I don't know. Google it later. Um, but there's a movie about Ray, uh, Eddie Murphy and, uh, you know, these two characters named Ray and Claus, a comedy. It's about these two guys who basically spend 65 years in prison for a crime they didn't commit. I mean, f- f- you know, funny story, that kind of thing. So after 65 years of always plotting to get, you know, break out of jail, they always get caught. And finally, they just kind of give up on it. And then Ray, Ray has this other idea. It's like, man, we can finally get out of this place. And so after being in prison for 65 years, they finally make it out. They finally make it out. Go to a baseball game. Anybody remember the scene where they're walking out for the very first time? Like the whole world had changed. Like when they were in prison 65 years ago, like cars weren't a thing, music wasn't a thing, the clothes was different, and they felt lost in the place that they knew. The city where they were born and raised, the city they spent all their childhood, the city that they knew was now different because they had just missed the time. 
So Apollos, we believe, he's, he knew the Bible, he knew the scriptures, but for whatever reason, he had just missed the time and didn't know about the story of Jesus. And so instead of critiquing him or going on Facebook Live saying he's a heretic or throwing stones at his church, who does, what happens? Priscilla and Aquila see him, verse 26. He says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, Apollos, and after Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. You see, with all of Apollo's eloquence, his passion, his zeal, he was missing Jesus. He was missing that Jesus had actually come, that Jesus had actually died, that Jesus had actually raised, and now we're preaching a salvation that is present and offered to us now, not something that we have to wait and look forward to anymore. And Priscilla and Aquila lovingly brought him back to the fullness of the truth. And look how he responded. Look at the humility of Apollos in verse 27 and 28. Since he, when, he, when he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to disciples and welcomed him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. See, he had part of the story. Priscilla and Aquila brought him and said, hey, Jesus actually has come. This is what he said. This is what we're doing now. He said, great, I got it. He just took off and didn't lose a beat. Wasn't like, man, that's not what I heard. I didn't learn that in seminary. Like he didn't, he didn't push back against the, the, the correction of a dear brother and sister. He received it and used those gifts of eloquence and passion and fervency to greatly help the church in Asia. So he goes off and serves. He started off as heat without light. Now he's got both heat and light preaching Jesus. Luke zooms forward to Paul's return to Ephesus. Paul spends some time traveling um, around uh, back to the churches that he was at. Then he zooms forward in chapter 19 to Paul's return to Ephesus. So Paul, remember, he went to Antioch, went to all the churches that he went to, uh, that he planted and established, encouraged them, came back to Antioch, and then he went to Ephesus again where Priscilla and Aquila were waiting for him. So Luke, the, the writer of this book, zooms forward to that time and picks up the story in verse 1 of chapter 19. Here we're going to see those serving without a savior. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? He asked them into John's baptism, they replied. Now pause here again. He finds some people who are called disciples, these people who are learners, those who are serving in the church, those who we would consider the religious, the good church folks showing up, doing what they have to do. But yet again, what are they missing? Jesus. These are people who work and serve and give and are yet missing something deep down in their souls. Many of us today are in that same boat. We're religious, but we don't have yet a relationship. So once again, they were baptized into John's baptism, this baptism that looked forward to the coming of Jesus. Then Paul said in verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they were beginning to speak in other tongues and to prophesy. Now they were about 12 men in all. Now, what this is not, let me be clear, this is not a second filling of the Holy Spirit. This is not you got saved, now you need a separate prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That's not what's happening. Ephesians chapter 1 is clear that we are saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. Any Christian who gets saved already has all the Holy Spirit they could ever get. We're not talking about a second filling. What we're talking about right now is these people, once again, just because of the distance of time and space and communication, had heard John when he was doing his ministry, had heard his message, had believed his message, but the the power and the presence and the work of Jesus Christ hadn't yet caught up to them. Hadn't yet caught up to them. There wasn't blogs to read or, or websites to check for Jesus. The message had to go on by foot. That's why Paul had to be a man about one thing, because people needed to hear this message. And so it's not it's too unfamiliar from what we've seen before in Pentecost. We've seen four examples thus far in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit falls with the speaking of tongues and prophesy. Basically a confirmation that the Holy Spirit really did fall on the Jews who were separated from the Jerusalem, really did fall on the Samaritans, really did fall on the Gentiles, really did fall in Pentecost. What, what God is doing is showing that God is the God of all. He doesn't pick Jews or Gentiles or Samaritans or the Jews who had left Jerusalem over any other group. He's showing that, no, I'm the God over all people, and that's why this visible evidence of speaking in tongues and prophesying happens every time. But church, we're starting to get a picture here, hopefully, that what Apollos was missing, all of his gifts and passions and excitement and fire that he had, he was missing Jesus. And in the disciples in Ephesus, their service and their devotion and their their giving and their showing up, all that stuff was good, but they were missing Jesus. And this is the point, church. Jesus Christ is all that matters. Jesus Christ is all that matters. Paul, speaking about his own life in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. It says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. What's he saying right here? He's building the case that if anybody's got a resume, I got a resume. I was a Jew of Jews, blameless according to the law, Pharisee, the the strictest sect of religious zealots. I was a part of that group. I persecuted the church even. That is my zeal. But everything that was a gain to me, I consider to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but the one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Church, whatever you may accomplish in life, if Jesus is not made known, you've missed it. Whatever else we may accomplish here at Radiant Church, and we do good things, we serve the community, we're intentionally diverse, we try to do things that reflect the needs of the place that we are, we do good things, but if we don't make Christ more known and loved as a result of what we do, we've missed it. I can be a good father and a good husband, and a good pastor, and a good friend. But if I don't make Jesus more known and loved through my life, I've missed it. 
And the reality is, no matter what you may accomplish in this life, no matter what degrees or statues erected in your name, no matter what you may do, without Jesus, without making him more known and more loved as a result of your life, have you really accomplished? Because if he is everything, then what is everything else? Nothing. If he is everything, then everything else means nothing without him. That's why the scriptures say with Jesus, nothing is impossible, because with him, he's all that matters. With him, everything becomes possible, because everything, the whole arc of creation, arc of history, everything points to Jesus, and if we align ourselves in that direction, what can get in our way? If we are living our lives to make him known and loved, what can stop God's power and God's plan? But if we are occupied building our own kingdom, then it's all on us. If Apollos had relied just on his eloquence and not on the preaching of Jesus Christ, he would have just been an eloquent person and would have been forgotten in all of history. Would have died, we would have never known his name. But because of his humility and his willingness to align himself to the preaching of Jesus Christ to make him known and loved, he's in the eternal scriptures today. And so the question that I'm asking myself and I'm posing to you is, whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom? Is it yours? You bearing the weight of retirement, of of kids and of life and of paying bills, are you bearing the weight on your shoulders of that? Is that all that consumes your thoughts and passions and desires? Or are you seeking to even submit those things to the glory of Jesus Christ. Even the house that I live in is for Jesus. The job that I have is for Jesus. The friends that I have are for Jesus. The money that I have are for Jesus. The time that I have is for Jesus, to make him known and loved in my heart and in the hearts of all those I touch. Church, there are many good things in life. There are. But there's only one thing that's worth it all. There's only one thing worth devoting your life to, if you're honest. It's not your job. There's this thing on a post I saw. It says, don't, don't work yourself to death for your job. Because if you die, your job will be posted online before your obituary. That's a fact. This world will keep turning whether you work there or not. But Jesus has a unique purpose and plan for your life. He in some respects, doesn't need any of us, but in other respects, chooses to use all of us. We don't have to be Apollos. We don't have to be the eloquent, fervent, preaching down fire every time we talk. We don't have to be competent in the scriptures like he was. We got to be willing just to be used by Jesus to give what we have to offer and put it at God's feet and say, God, here's, here's the time that I have. Here's my family. Here's my job. Here's my friends. What can you do with this, God? Here's my talents my past mistakes, my rede- all of that, and just say, okay, God, here, here's what I have. What, what do you want me to do with this? What, how can I make you more loved and more known through all of these things? Church, that's, that's why we live. That's why we do this church thing. That's why you have the job that you have. That's why you have the family that you have. That's why you went through the stuff that you went through. It wasn't just for you is so that through all of those things, you could make Jesus known 
and love. Because if you build God's kingdom, I promise you, he'll take care of yours. I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. Those who delight in the Lord, God hears them and answers them, gives them the desires of their heart. Psalms 37. Why? Because if we want Jesus, God will give you more of himself. And then you'll realize if you have him, you don't really need or want anything else. I promise you, church, it seems like if you don't do it, it won't get done. If you don't worry about these things, then who's going to take care of it? Well, God will if you, if you get out the way. If you go about his business, he will take care of yours. He will give you what you need. Maybe not all that you want. Amen. But he'll give you what you need. Primarily more of himself. Are you feeling distant from God? Are you feeling like your prayer life has dried up? Are you feeling like when you sing, you get emotional in that moment, but the moment the song is over, it's gone? Do you feel like you just don't have the time or the capacity? Take a step of faith today. Say, God, I, I, got, I got 20 minutes in between nap time, or I got 30 minutes on the way to work. I got, this is what I have right now. God, use this. And watch him multiply our five loaves and two fish to feed all those who need us. Let's pray, church.